Welcome to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. So this current situation we all find ourselves in has got me to thinking. Now, as you probably know, we have been accidentally preparing for this sort of situation for quite a while with, you know, the milk cow and the chickens and the garden and the canning and all the stuff. But I can't help but think and ponder, what if we had taken a different path? Like, what if we had just found ourselves at this point in history, like your typical American, living in town in a little neighborhood with a little backyard in the suburbs? What would I do or what could I do if I was in that situation to boost our food security, to increase our food supply, and just to help everything be a little more stable? So just for fun, I've put together my action list if I was in that situation, if I was starting from scratch with zero homestead, here is how I would increase our personal food security. I'm your host, Joe Winger, and this is the podcast for the trailblazers, the mavericks, the makers, the homesteaders, the modern pioneers, and the backyard farmers. If you've ever found yourself disenchanted with conformity, and you like to swim upstream while the rest of the world rides the river of least resistance, well, you have found your tribe. Okay, so I'm really excited um, for this episode. So here is, here is the setting. We're going to have to set some like ramp, some boundaries, or I don't know what the word, uh, rules for this scenario, right? So I'm going to pretend like um, I live in town. We have a, a backyard, but not a monster backyard, right? It's not like it's an acre backyard, just a regular backyard. Um, and I'm going to say that the town I live in is fairly, or maybe my homeowners association is somewhat, uh, liberal in their rules. Like they still have rules, but they're, they're allowing some things to go on. So that is my scenario. Okay. Um, and obviously if you're listening to this, you may have that scenario. You may have a different scenario that you are living in this moment. So you kind of got to take some of these ideas and tailor them to your situation But here's my encouragement for you in that. There is always something you can do. And on the flip side of that, there is always something you can use as an excuse if you're looking for an excuse. So I would encourage you to look at the obstacles in your way, whether they're a homeowners association or maybe you live in an apartment and you don't have a backyard or whatever it may be, and choose to see those roadblocks as not necessarily a roadblock, but just an obstacle that you will overcome and will make you more creative and more ingenious in the process. Okay. So that's a mindset shift to start off this challenge, but okay, here's what I would do. Step one. Um, now remember I'm, I, I'm not a homesteader. So this is, this is the scenario. The first thing I would do, I would start some sort of garden. Okay. Um, and there's some vegetables, you know, that grow pretty darn quick and you can have them ready to roll pretty quick. So I would start with greens um, and I would dig up a spot in the backyard, maybe a big spot. If I have the potential, maybe a little spot and I would plant spinach, kale, um, mustard greens, chard, arugula, all the stuff, right? Those come up quickly. Oh, lettuce, obviously. Duh. Um, Those come up quickly and they're nutritious And in the meantime, while those are coming up, I would sprout some seeds in my kitchen, in mason jars. 
And then I could have those vitamins in the sprouts. They're so good for you. They taste good on all the sandwiches and the wraps and the eggs and all the things. And that way, um, that would keep us sustained with green stuff while the garden outside was growing. And so I'm assuming, obviously, in this scenario, it's not the dead of winter and there's not five feet of snow on the ground. Um, but if it, you know, this would work in spring, summer, and fall because greens are pretty tolerant of cool weather. Um, so that would be what I would do. And then as those greens are coming up outside, if it's still too cold for me to plant other vegetables, I would start the seeds in my window. Or if I could set up some sort of grow light, you know, get a, a light from the hardware store with a shelf and set that up, I would start growing some vegetable starts in my house. Uh, tomatoes, obviously, because that's everybody's favorite. You can do cabbage, cauliflower, broccoli. Um, there's a lot you can do in a windowsill if you have good southern light. And you could also do things like herbs uh, that you could use in your cooking right away or throughout the garden season. Okay, so that would be the first thing because it takes a little more time to get that rolling. But there's a lot of food security to be had with a garden or just sticking some vegetables in your landscaping, right? If you're in a place like, let's say you have a big front yard and your homeowners association won't let you dig it all up and put an actual garden in the front yard. Well, they don't know the difference between a vegetable and a flower or some sort of ornamental plant. So stick some vegetables in your beautiful landscaping and grow some food alongside the ornamental stuff, right? There's lots of ways around it. Okay. The step two, step two would be I would get a grain mill, something that would grind wheat, and I would buy wheat berries in bulk. Now, obviously, if you are gluten-free, skip this step for obvious reasons. But for the rest of you who are buying all the flour at the store right now or trying to buy the flour and you can't find it, this is the answer. There is a small investment in a grain mill. I'm pretty sure it will be the best investment you've ever made because... You know, as we've gone to town, like I still can't find all-purpose flour in the stores here. I don't really care a whole lot though, because I have, no word of a lie, 200 pounds of wheat berries in my basement. Uh, and I actually had stocked up on those a good number of years ago when I was really in kind of this prepping phase that I feel like I, I shifted out of a little bit. And I was going to give that, that wheat berry, the buckets to the chickens um, last year, and I just never got around to it. And now I'm kind of kind of really glad I didn't give them to the chickens. So we have been using those wheat berries and my grain mill. I have a Nutra mill and I've been grinding all the flour, our little hearts desire. And the cool thing is with wheat berries, they're a whole uh, grain, right? Obviously, you can store a whole grain for a very long time. If you have them in a nice container where the mice can't get them and they're not going to get wet, they'll last a while, friends. And you don't have to worry about them going rancid and you don't have to worry about, um, you know, keeping them in the refrigerator. Cause once you grind wheat, it starts to degrade really, really quickly. And so that's why I always advise people against buying whole wheat flour at the store, because you just don't know how long it's been sitting on the shelf and it can go rancid and it can get stale way faster than all purpose flour. So if you have those wheat berries in those buckets though, they will last years and you just pull them out and grind them up whenever you need them. So get a grain mill, get the wheat berries. You don't need to have 200 pounds like Jill. You can have 20 pounds, but just have some on hand. Okay, number three, 
I would stock the pantry. Even if I'm in like, you know, suburban house, no farmhouse, doesn't matter. I would stock my pantry with staples. And this is what I do now. And you can do this. I don't care where you live, an apartment in New York City, the middle of the Midwest in, in a suburb. This is possible for everyone. Um, and I have done other episodes. I think there's one called my everyday preparedness pantry, where I go into the details of what I just keep around. Um, things like rolled oats, honey, coconut oil, dry beans, rice, um, stuff like that. Basics, right? But those are the things that we eat anyway. And I just keep a bigger than normal supply. And no, I'm not hoarding because I keep it all the time. So it's not like I went and rushed out and bought extra amounts when this whole thing started. Um, but that really carries us through. That carries us through when we have blizzards. That carries us through when I'm just not able to get to the store. Um, and when everyone else started rushing to the grocery aisles to get all the things, I just didn't need to because I already had a good supply of that stuff, the basics, in the pantries and in the basement. All right, number four, I would learn how to can things like fruits and tomato sauce and homemade broths, and you can can meat. Um, and I have all these tutorials on the blog, theprairiehomestead.com. Just go over there and use the search tool. Like right now, you know, we haven't gone to town. I haven't gone to the grocery store in at least mm, 10 days, two weeks. Um, and we're really leaning heavily on the canned food that I put up last year and the year before. And we're pulling out the tomato sauce. And this morning we had baked oatmeal with home canned peaches. And, you know, even the other day, the kids were looking for some fruit um, to put in a recipe and they had the, the choice of home canned peaches or home canned apple slices or home canned cherries or applesauce. And just having that selection that we canned ourselves. Um, I know it's organic. I know it's healthy. Like that is gold. That just feels so good. And the thing with canning is this is maybe one of the things on this list. You're probably not going to be able to go out and just stock your pantry with 200 jars of home canned food overnight, right? It takes a little bit of time, but if you can just start squirreling away seven jars at a time, 14 jars at a time, whenever you find the fruit on sale, whenever you get um, some extra from a friend or you grow it in your garden, it adds up. And in addition to produce, like I said, you can can things like broth. So when you have that big Thanksgiving turkey, you cook it down into broth. You, you, I usually get like two gallons from a turkey. It's insane. And I will can all that broth. And then I don't have to go to the store and buy broth. And the same goes for beef or chicken. You go get a sale on, on meat um, or maybe you buy a quarter of a cow from a local farmer. And then you put some in your freezer and you can can some of the stew meats or things like that. So it's shelf stable, it's freeing up space in the freezer, and it's stock in that pantry. So I think canning is an extremely worthwhile skill um, for situations like what we find ourselves in right now and just everyday pantry preparedness. It, it really helps. Okay, so this one, number five, this is maybe one that isn't going to fit for every person's situation, but if it works for you, I would suggest getting a couple chickens, right? One of the things we're seeing right now is eggs are missing off the shelves. People are buying eggs faster than anything else. 
Uh, well, maybe not faster than toilet paper, but eggs are one of the top items, right? And I was reading an article this morning that talked about this egg shortage, for lack of a better word, and they said that it's really hard for the egg industry just to, you know, increase the egg supply in a short amount of time because you have to wait for the chickens to get mature. It's not like, you know, there's a finite number of chickens that are laying and to get more, you have to increase your flock size for these big commercial egg operations. So it's kind of a slow process. And you don't have to be uh, dependent on that system if you have your own chickens. And you don't need 52 chickens like me, but even if you just have three or four or whatever your town or your ordinances will allow, it'll help. It will help. Um, in their prime, a chicken will lay about an egg a day. So unless you have 29 kids, you know, a handful of chickens is probably going to do you just fine. And you can feed them your table scraps, your kitchen scraps. You kind of got this little self-sustaining system going on and it's a beautiful thing. Okay. And lastly, number six, if you're living in the suburbs, you know, obviously you probably aren't going to have a dairy goat or a milk cow. If you can pull that off though, more power to you. I am rooting for you. Um, but if it's not possible, I would suggest that right now, and this is something you can do today, get to know your local farmers and your local ranchers and your local producers. You know, I've said this for years, um, and I've believed this for years, but more than ever, I am seeing the value of a localized food system. It's important. And you can bet that from here on out, I'm going to be preaching this so much more passionately, even than I did before. Because as I see our food um, system, our industrialized food system, have some holes in it um, and not work super great and leave some people hanging, you know, you know who's coming through? For people, it's the local farmers. It's the local ranchers. Um, they're the ones stepping up to make sure their communities have food. So what I would suggest when this is all said and done and the grocery stores are full of all the things, once again, I'm going to encourage you to stay loyal to your local producers because they were here for you when the grocery stores weren't able to keep up. And when you can support that local food economy, things like really cool things happen and you're supporting families in your community and it's creating more vibrant food scene. And let me just tell you, we, we've always homesteaded and produced food for ourselves, right? Um, just our own food supply. And I've mentioned it a few times, but over the last two or three years, we have started to get into commercial beef, which means we've bought some cows and we've been growing them up. And we are, we just sent our first batch to be processed a couple months ago. So we have beef now available. We got a commercial freezer, the whole nine yards. And oh my goodness, I underestimated how amazing it is to be able to sell beef to folks and hand beef to them um, who are desperate because they can't get it at any store in town. And like, I don't know. I just didn't expect it to be this fulfilling. I, I figured it would be a little fulfilling, but this is unreal. And I am obsessed. And that's part of the reason we bought a whole bunch more chickens because we want to be able to start selling eggs. And I've always kind of steered away from that because I thought, oh, it's a lot of work and there's not a huge profit margin there. And we have so many other things going on, but 
You guys, I am so passionate about being able to share food with the community. And even um, right now, there's a local grocery store in our little town and they can't get eggs. And so I'm working out a deal with them to take our egg excess from our little homestead flock and drive it up to them so they can have eggs in their store. And I just want to make sure that when when this is all over, I'm going to continue to seek out and find our local producers. And we, and honestly, we don't have a ton of them just because Wyoming is a tough place to grow food. We don't have big orchards. We don't have big uh, vegetable farms for the most part. But you know what? I'm going to do whatever I can to encourage that and keep it going from here on out. And I hope you do too. So if you are feeling excited and inspired to do this homestead thing, and maybe we don't even call it homesteading. Maybe we just call it increasing your, your self-sufficiency or boosting your food security. Um, but you kind of want to do some of the things on the list that I mentioned, but you're not quite sure how to start. Well, the good news is that is my specialty. And I happen to have an entire library of resources I put together for homesteaders or suburban backyard folks who are trying to um, master their pantry. And you can get complimentary access to the whole thing over at theprairiehomestead.com slash grow. And that is it for today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so all the new episodes will show up automatically in your podcast player. And if you found this episode helpful, I would love it if you could just pop over and leave a quick rating or review. Thanks so much for listening. I always enjoy hanging out here on the podcast and I'll catch up with you next time.